Welcome to a new episode of the Life Science Get Together podcast. Um, when I think back about 20 years when I started uh, the first companies, um, nobody was talking about entrepreneurship and startups. Uh, since then, a lot changed. And thanks to people like uh, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk or Warren Buffett, uh, today's rock stars are the entrepreneurs. And also with the rise of entrepreneurship, uh, something interesting happened. Uh, a lot of webinars around the market, a lot of seminars around the market, a lot of books were written about how to start a company, how to develop a company, how to raise funds. And uh, they all focus on one aspect. It's the technical aspects of running companies. And when I look at the conclusion, it's pretty simple. Have an idea, build a team, found a company, go to a lawyer, write your first business plan, convince an investor, get the money, sell the product, and then you are rich and successful. Uh, but if this formula, for, formula is really that easy, I just wonder why are there not more millionaires and billionaires and successful entrepreneurs on the market when every webinar promise um, it's easy. So I was doing a little bit of research and tried to figure out what else is necessary to become an entrepreneur? And while I was in this uh, part of researching, I did a podcast recording last year in December uh, with uh, my guest in this episode, and I hope I speak his name in, a, in, a, in the right way. Uh, it's Chama Nadeki. And he mentioned in the interview uh, that he created some habits in his life. And uh, one is... Uh, very interesting, and I think I hand directly over to Chaman Hateki and ask him what this particular habit is that he has created in his life as an entrepreneur and why he believes it helps to become successful. Hi, Christian. Uh, thanks for your humbling words and uh, again for, for having me on your podcast um, for, for the third time, I think, uh, even. Mm. Um, Good to have you here. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, so um, I believe that uh, on, a, on a daily basis, we only have like a certain amount of willpower that we can exert uh, in order to make decisions. And uh, most of the time, we are just on autopilot. So the goal here is in order to design your autopilot in a way that you are leading a satisfying life. And um, for this purpose, I started several habits um, that are just, habit means it's just running on auto, uh, autopilot, which is the, the, the purpose here. Uh, and it helps me design my life. And um, it is also ironic because uh, in order to gain my freedom, I have to give it up. I have to give up and say, no, uh, this is something that I do on autopilot and I uh, dedicate the time for it. So let's start. I mean, I've uh, I tried so many different things <laughs> and this is my current state where I am at uh, right now. I won't say it is the, the silver bullet already, but it's uh, it's getting closer and closer. And I think that from the, from the concept, it's also fine. So let's start with, uh, with sleep. I mean, it's a hand egg where we have to start uh, ending a day or starting a day. So let's uh, start with starting the day. I uh, I don't have an alarm clock. And uh, like the last six years or so, I haven't have used it only like 
20 times or so. And even if I do, I'm waking up before the alarm clock reliably. <laughs> and so the first, your first aim is that, um, or my first aim is not to interrupt the sleep that I do need. Uh, yeah, human being. Uh, and if my body needs more sleep, I have to give it to it. Um, and the alarm clock is just disrupting it. Um, so that said, when I'm waking up, and I can tell you when I wake up, it's sometimes at midnight. Mm -hmm. uh, it's sometimes at 5 a.m., but normally it's around 3 a.m. or 4 a.m., mm -hmm. uh, which is also designed on, on, on purpose because I'm waking up with a head start. So <laughs> there are no emails, no, um, uh, no call, phone calls. The world is not busy yet. I am waking, uh, waking up before everyone else and I can get uh, stuff done. And it's, uh, it's a feeling for itself. The first times when I did it, uh, this was like I, I had a jet lag. <laughs> I was coming back from East Asia from a business trip, a long one in Korea and Japan. Mm -hmm. And when I was coming back, I just woke up naturally at, uh, at 2 a.m. And then I told to myself, well, it's actually quite quite cool to wake up early and I can I, I get stuff done. And but first I was uh, running through the <laughs> uh, through the apartment like a headless chicken. I didn't know what to do. And the problem was I didn't design my habits. I had no idea what to do. So what I did is, um, so what I do now is uh, I start first to meditate, which is really hard if you just uh, mm. woke up. Jama, no one, one, sorry to interrupt you. One question. If I remember sure. right, you are also a medical doctor from right. uh, your, uh, your training. So I would yeah. just use the opportunity to also uh, Uh, ask a question from this angle. Uh, when it comes to sleep, um, it's also a huge part of my research uh, to find out why sleep matters. So many successful people say they don't need a lot of sleep, they just work. And when I go through um, the publications, so the usual recommendation I find is uh, try to get uh, some seven to eight hours of sleep per night. Uh, on the long run, in average, uh, to make sure that uh, the body is functioning properly. Are these uh, medical claims accurate or is it enough to, to just uh, live by three hours and have more time to work? Like Elon Musk, I think uh, in one of his biographies, um, he wrote or he said that uh, when he was younger, he was working basically 20 hours per day and uh, all he did was working. What's your uh, medical opinion on, on sleeping? How necessary is it really? Okay, so <laughs> I great that you are bringing up uh, Elon Musk. So first of all, I don't think it's true that he only worked 20 hours a day. He worked all the day, mm -hmm. and consciously or subconsciously. Mm -hmm. And uh, but we can get, uh, get back to that. Uh, secondly, I, I think it's wrong um, to say you need seven hours or eight hours, or you only need three hours. Don't listen to either of those opinions. Uh, don't track your sleep. Forget it. Uh, the best measure of whether you're getting a good sleep is when you're waking up and, and feel somewhat rested. Mm -hmm. The only reason where a long sleep is not really um, restful is when you're not getting into a deep uh, um, sleep state uh, because of ap apnea, for instance, um, because you have only a superficial uh, sleep. But this is a medical condition. Other than that, um, just sleep as long as your body wants to for the following reason. 
first of all. Um, your immune system. So we have two kinds of immune systems. One is adaptive and one is innate, which means the innate uh, is especially good for um, like um, bacterial infections and something that is rather minor. So um, it's just there, yeah, it's your default standard uh, system. The adaptive one is the, the more trickier one. And uh, studies uh, have shown that the adaptive one is, is something that is learning, right? So you're having the infection for the first time, but the second time the infection has no chance again. Um, because your uh, adapted immune system has learned, has uh, ad adapted, as, as, as it says, and then is attacking very well. However, it is not working if you're not sleeping. It is only the cells are replicating in your deep sleep state. Uh, so you, you want to have that. You, you cannot miss it out. On the other hand, if you're not getting that sleep that you might need, um, you are, <laughs> you're only at 40% of your IQ. The only, um, from my experience, the only way on how you can um, tackle the, the drop of IQ, essentially, is by the adrenaline rush that you're getting because you're working towards the deadline. And only in those settings, I think it makes sense. Uh, so in those settings, I'm going uh, to sleep at, uh, at midnight and waking up again at 2 a.m. without an alarm clock because my body is just in a rush and the sleep was, was fine and I still can do uh, a good enough work in order to accommodate the, the deadline. Um, so this would be my, my answer to this. So basically, if I got it right, uh, is that it doesn't really matter uh, how the, so the quantity of sleep is not that important uh, in comparison to the quality of sleep. And uh, in, in the end, uh, high quality sleep is necessary to simply stay healthy. So uh, it, it, yes, yes, I would say yes. And I would also say no. Um, in, in the end, you probably need a longer sleep. Mm -hmm. Because um, um, the tendency is that you're getting better into a deep sleep state. There are also other ways in order to get into it. And we will, uh, we will get, get to that when we get to the habits uh, of the evening of, of shutting down, mm -hmm. uh, which is also uh, essential. Um, but it's, essentially, I'm, I'm just saying, at least for myself, that don't to look too much into how many hours you get into it. Um, sleep without an alarm clock. Uh, just go earlier to bed, essentially. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean that's good news because uh, many books start with uh, how to wake up or how to get a kickstart in the day or how to make your bed. I mean, there was this uh, mm. famous speech uh, from a Navy SEAL uh, admiral where he was speaking about uh, the great habit of making your bed, and you start your day basically with a very good bed. I mean, it's good news for everybody. You start with sleeping, so. Um, everybody who loves to sleep in now has an excuse to do so and say it's good for my health and uh, it keeps me sane and uh, functioning properly and uh, creating a habit of cutting back on sleep uh, for making more time to work can be really harmful then at the end. Uh, so it's not highly recommendable to, to live a life with 21 hours work and uh, three hours of sleeping over years. Uh, no, of course not, uh, uh, because you are you're more likely uh, of of getting an infection 
um, or the infection to spread, uh, you are not at the, the the level that you could be regarding your IQ and the productivity that you might mm -hmm. have. Um, you can have the, such uh, rushes of, of uh, short sleep um, towards the deadline, and then maybe it is fulfilling, but uh, then you, you just need to uh, re recover at some point and let your body, this body decide on, uh, how much recovery you will need. The problem is, however, uh, why we're setting alarm clocks, maybe uh, let me stress that again. If you're awake until 1 a.m., um, and then you're, you have no alarm clock and you're sleeping until 9 a.m., this is really bad news. Why? Because the world has already woken up. Mm -hmm. uh, everything has started and you are late. It's, it's, you are in a place of distress. Mm -hmm. You just have mm -hmm. to hurry. You don't want to be there. If you are earlier than the, than the world wakes up, this gives you just a, a more peaceful, um, um, uh, yeah, yeah, just a peace of mind that you will not have. So timing is also important. That's an interesting perspective. So uh, to avoid distress in the morning, uh, like uh, rushing to work, jumping out of bed because uh, it's mm. already uh, later in the day, um, just going to bed earlier then to yes. get more sleep. So it's uh, it's not wise to, to to sit in a bar until one a.m. in the morning. I mean, now we are at the end of the lockdown here in Austria, so technically it's possible to. <laughs> Uh, to hang out with friends in a bar uh, until 1 p.m. and then set an alarm, alarm clock for 5 a.m. Sometimes, I mean, people like to drink in the evening, especially here in Vienna. So this would have over decades a, a double down effect on illness, I guess. So less sleep, uh, interrupted sleep with alcohol and waking up early uh, and then needing to rush to the office on top of that because if yeah. it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. It is, it is the worst. Why? Because uh, if you're staying up late because you're partying or whatever it is, even having a drink or many drinks by that time, the problem is you're, you're jet lagged. It's just mm. another form of jet lag. Okay. You're disrupting your whole uh, rhythm of your body. The next thing is you are waking up and you have lost the way why the, uh, the reason why the Navy SEAL is uh, telling us to make your bed in the morning is to have the first success. Mm -hmm. that just the first success but you're losing already your game you're you're waking up with a feeling of losing you, you have already lost this is the worst i mean you're tired your immune system didn't recover um you're late to work you have lost uh, you you and even if you had planned any morning uh, rituals do you think you're really going for the rituals no you're rushing to you're rushing to work and no, it's it's actually, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I would use a strong word here, but it's it's bad. <laughs> um, and this is one part of designing your your, your life. And again, this is ironic, uh, as I said, because at some point it is, can also be antisocial. Mm -hmm. But the only reason when when I am uh, uh, staying up late is either it is for a deadline, or I am abroad and it's part of um, let's say business development because after the conference uh, I'm meeting up uh, customers and 
they want to get to know you, um, the raw version of yourself, because they want to predict your behavior in the future. And this is, uh, they're, they're taking the time in the, in, in the bar and getting to know you personally in order to understand whether, whether you are a fair player or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the, the only uh, time and I really uh, stay, stay up late. But other than that, um, taking my freedom to stay up as, as long as I want uh, and just get uh, into bed early, uh, like prime time, like the, the, the TV <laughs> prime time. Um, it could be perceived as antisocial, but you're, you're setting up for first win in the morning and you are more in control of your life. You have a higher degree of freedom, although you're limiting yourself at the same time. I mean, I, I see entrepreneurship, especially when I look at the very successful entrepreneurs like uh, uh, world-class sports. So people need to be in a shape to compete with the best of the best and also work with the best of the best. And from what you say, I understand that uh, a typical lifestyle that involves uh, being social in the evening, going out every night. I'm not talking about this occasional meeting and this occasional evening. I'm talking about a lifestyle that is designed for going out with friends until uh, midnight or 1 a.m., 2 a.m., having a few drinks. Doesn't mean necessarily to get drunk, but uh, let's say two beer or uh, half a bottle of wine and then drive home, get three, four, five hours of sleep, uh, jumping out of the bed, rushing to the office because some people need to start at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. and then you have to also do commute, is really setting up the life in a way that it's hard to reach peak performance level during the day. Absolutely. Especially if you have, an, uh, like uh, when I was a student uh, at med school, uh, when I had an exam the next day and I had to learn I just stopped learning at 10, 10 p.m. the latest mm-hmm. because first of all, my focus wasn't uh, sufficient enough in order to really uh, get new stuff into my head. Second of all, I wouldn't perform at my my peak levels with the knowledge that I had at the time. And if you see that the, the IQ drops to 40 percent, <laughs> it's actually ludicrous to just to um, to have a to just learn through the through the night. You want perform better because of that 40 percent reduced iq um makes 60 percent reduced 60 percent oh 240 yeah no reduced 240 yes exactly 60 percent i mean uh we have a lot of uh knowledge workers these days and uh their job is to think and it means without enough sleep um they already start uh with less than 60 percent of their capability so it's, uh... absolutely. I mean, the only way to, uh, to counter that is the rush of adrenaline, because then mm-hmm. you are getting uh, resources from, from um, all over the, your body. <laughs> Start your but... day with a fight with the boss, so <laughs> then you can make up. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, something like this. But even then, uh, you're, you're jeopardizing your um, yeah, your abilities and your mm-hmm. capabilities. Yes. So one of these uh, habits that people who really want uh, to pursue um successfully building a company and one of these habits that people should really aim at is getting enough quality sleep so to 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 be at their peak performance level uh for a very long time over decades yeah absolutely this is why we don't have strict hours at uh, for for our team at our company Mm -hmm. because i I know some people need uh sometimes more sleep or or less sleep that depends on their, uh, their personal circumstances um and 
so we don't say at 7 a.m. you have to be there or 8 a.m. even. Um, it's best if they don't even have to set the alarm clock. Uh, they get the, the rest that they need. However, if they're party, if they would be partying every day and coming late to office and then not have the productivity, this is a completely different set of uh, yeah. other issues that we didn't have to deal with yet uh, happily. Okay, I think everybody understands the difference between that. But uh, so, 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 so as you say, for for employees, it's uh, beneficial to grant them, um, let's say, um, yeah. designing their workday in a way that they can make sure that they have uh, enough time to sleep. Yeah, no meetings in the morning. I mean, the, the peak performance that you're going to have is uh, is in the morning as well. Mm -hmm. And if you're wasting it on meetings. <laughs> what the fuck? I mean, it doesn't make sense. Um, in, in, in the meeting, you're, you're, typically you don't have a productive uh, work. Um, and you should rather isolate yourself mm -hmm. um, and focus on, uh, on a work and get into a deep work uh, state. Uh, for which uh, one half uh, half an hour is not enough. You you have to need you need a block of four hours at least in order to really get uh, stuff done. Um, yeah. So um, you mentioned um, before I interrupted you that um, you had your some some sort of defining moment uh, two a.m. Uh, abroad while uh, on a business trip where you started creating your habits, and you mentioned that the next step for you was uh, to dig into meditation. <laughs> yes. Um, so it started out that I, I figured out I have to design and plan uh, upfront on what I'm going to do when I wake mm -hmm. up. Uh, first, I'm going to the bathroom and then uh, I'm uh, starting the meditation, like 20 minutes. And then immediately thereafter, I'm doing physical tra physical training. Mm -hmm. well, let's tell a little bit of meditation. Uh, yes. What, what kind of meditation are you doing? Regularly. Um yes. Let me let me see on uh, what it is really called. Um uh so I was trying to do um oh, uh, I was uh, I started headspace back then. Mm -hmm. Um I'm not sure what kind of meditation it is that they are using. Do you know? Um I don't know. My experience with meditation is basically rooted in uh Zen Buddhism. Um, or Chan Buddhism, like it's called in the Shaolin Temple. Yes. Um, it, it's pretty simple. I, um, was six years ago, I made a trip to the Chinese Shaolin Temple in the Henan province. Okay. And there I had a chance of speaking with the uh, monk responsible for meditation, which he was one of the most relaxed guys I ever met in my life. And he had some sort of, uh, I would say, it's it's hard to describe it, some sort of energy which was 100% calm and relaxed and focused. Very impressive. And yeah. I asked him the question, what uh, the right approach to meditation is. And uh, the second one was, what will change in my life? And usually when I look at uh, the Western world, uh, when I see promotional meditation, uh, it's mostly... Uh, by this, 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 and that, and then do five seminars and uh, then go on a retreat and invest a minimum of $100,000. It, it's, it's exaggerated, of course. So I was expecting a response from him in that way that he says, okay, come here to the temple, spend a month with us, and I will teach you eight hours every day. 
But his way was that he just was silent for one minute. He looked at me and said, yeah, good question. Um, sits down every day for 15 minutes and soon you will find out what changes in your life. Well, it's yeah. <laughs> just <Yeah>. do it. <laughs> this was... Yeah. yeah. I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, it's also one of our core values at our company, um, which is lean. Uh, so uh, like you uh, you were explaining exactly that uh, this uh, this core value that you do not have to spend a hundred thousand euros and do this and that uh, like the, the grand gestures are not working here right the, the little stuff uh, uh, is is what matters so yes um, so mo mostly what I do is I sit there in silence uh, I close my eyes I do a, a cool down and then I start not to think and when I think mm. I I from a from a higher perspective I realize that I'm currently thinking and I'm letting go I'm not judging I'm letting go I just see that my mind is quite busy right now I acknowledge that and um, I just I just um, try to to be there and then um, I uh, I, I count my, my breath or my heartbeat and um, this is difficult enough <laughs> this is really difficult uh, to not catch you uh, thinking again it's it's really a fight and then but I also started is um, is the following uh, I did death meditation so essentially it's visualizing your death and and you part by part, you're taking away all the material things mm -hmm. and then the, the people in your life. And then, then you're just on an empty stage. And um, this is um, <laughs> it, 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 a double-edged sword um, because it, you have to be in the right mental state in order to do that. Essentially, um, and this is maybe uh, as well uh, ironic. Getting a complete freedom is somehow by denying even your existence, by saying it's not it's not important. Everything what is material, it's is it just exists. Uh, you you just let it flow the good and the bad, but the good and the bad is just a, a definition. You don't try to hold anything. You just let it flow. And um, I think what it um, it creates is awareness. Mm -hmm. um, if, if, you're, if you're entering, uh, exiting this mode, why? You don't take things for granted. This is the effect. By, yeah not holding anything and just acknowledging that essentially you have nothing and you are nothing in the grand scheme of, of things. And then if you, you, you open your eyes again and you look around, uh, currently you do have something. Currently you are. And this alone, no matter where you are, is a great feeling. And I think by taking away everything, you're, you're becoming more gracious of what you already have and the people in your lives and 
you're just viewing things differently. And I think this is something that, that, that helps as well. Um, I think I wouldn't do this every day. <laughs> um, but I think that the experience is worthwhile to pursue at some point. Yeah. I absolutely agree. I think this, um, many, many writers refer to it like this uh, attitude of gratitude to train the mind in a way uh, to acknowledge the little things in life that are already there uh, instead of focusing on the negative of, let's say, not having billions of dollars. So I think your method, what you described, it came across to me uh, like uh, when you take everything away and then you have, uh, then you are at this state of zero and can start rediscovering what you already got and can start building further in that direction. And this is, I think, uh, also one of the great revelations that come with uh, with meditating. Even if it's sometimes hard, I mean, uh, you mentioned that uh, you have created the ability of uh, observing um, your mind uh, from a distant position. Um, I think this is also a great revelation that comes with uh, meditation that uh, you are not your mind. Um, and these are two separate things and it's uh, like being a, uh, driving an autopilot. But sometimes for me, it's really difficult to, to have this awareness when a lot of things go, are going on. Um, meditation is definitely um, something that's worth pursuing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And even if you're in, in a busy mind, to just acknowledge it. Like today, I'm a busy mind to observe. Mm -hmm. It is currently I'm busy. Okay, good to know. And the next day, Maybe I'm not uh, I'm not so busy, and I, I observe. No judging here involved. Yeah, just to recognize the state where we are right now. With a creative mind, sometimes it's challenging to <laughs> <laughs> to just acknowledge that. Yeah, uh, but but uh, the, the resolution from from our conversation we had so far is when the mind is too active, just get less sleep, then you operate on forty percent of your capacity <laughs> and <laughs> start meditating. <laughs> Yeah, if you're getting too uh, too little sleep, uh, you, you cannot hold your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And what uh, what the meditation also does for me, at least, is it helps me getting into deep work, mm -hmm. because most of the most of the time we're getting um, our work done. We can get our work done in a really little time. The only reason why we are not getting it done at this time is because yes, lack of pressure. Yes but lack of focus. Mm. But because what happens uh, with the social media, with the smartphones, we are always looking for this dopamine rush. Um, and whenever something is getting difficult, we need, our body is, is urging for, for some, some positive effect. And we, the, the habit is, okay, if I just touch my phone, and look at the messages that I have received. If I look at my emails, I'm getting a, a small rush um, because there was something new. I don't care about the content. I just care about the feeling of, ah, I've accomplished something, but it's junk food. And it's like a zombie-like zombie state. Um, just if you are in a train or in a, in a place that is really crowded, just put, put your phone away and, and observe um, all the people there. And the, they all crave for, for doing something. They're touching the phone, they're opening it, then they close the app, then they reopen the app. 
then uh, uh, they store their, their mobile phone re uh, again into into the pants, but then they take it out again, and you see you see the constant struggle of of focus, um, and the constant craving for for a rush. Essentially, we are all on drugs. It's just a digital drug, but it is a dark drug. Uh, so studies have shown that it's like uh, using cocaine. And, and you, you can observe the same chemical reactions in five-year-olds or six-year-olds six uh, dealing with mobile phones. And the reason why um, uh, the, the children of uh, founders of big tech companies, uh, they don't allow their children to have any, uh, any mobile phones and, and digital devices because it's hooking you in a, in a bad way. And uh, coming back to, to, what, to my point is uh, getting into the deep state takes you to get lost of all those distractions that you might have um, and get in, like it's training a muscle to focus yourself and to say, mm -hmm. ah, I seem to have a, an urging right now again in order to um, to get a dopamine rush from, from whatever habit it might be. Um, I acknowledge it and I say, I refuse. <laughs> But it's but again the, you're you're eating up the willpower uh, that you have uh, allocated for the for the day. So you you better train the mind in a way that you don't have to make this active decision too often in the day. That's an interesting point that you're making um, in, your, in, in in this dialogue. Um, when I got in touch with meditation the first time, it was about. I think it was 1996, 1997, this time around. Um, I moved to Graz to, to study uh, economics and uh, found a flyer on, uh, on the university which promised to teach the ancient arts of the ninja. And uh, I love martial arts, so it was uh, no brainer to just go there and train. And part of this training was basically meditation. And uh, back in the 90s, it was not very common to have a mobile phone. Smartphones were not invented and the mobile phones back then were pretty dumb. It's, they could be used for making calls and that's it. So all these claims that you described with meditation, that it helps to, to focus on the moment, uh, to be fully aware where you are. It was also a problem back then. But uh, for many people, it was not because basically when I was walking, I was walking. When I was eating, I was eating. And there were not, uh, like it is today, I'm looking at three screens and one camera. Um, and if I don't turn the apps and programs off, it every, something pops up every minute. So uh, the kind of distraction is something also that I realized. I mean, I love reading. And in former days, it was books. And then I switched to mobile phones. So I got a Kindle app and, and read on the smartphone. And this is interesting. It's, this is the thought that uh, my mind created while you were speaking, that the smartphone is the best source of distraction. So reading a book on a Kindle app, knowing that there are hundreds or thousands of other apps that I need to check or want to check or must check, mm. creates a really nice, um, nice distraction. And you mentioned that it's like being on cocaine. So that uh, every yeah. time when people do something on the smartphone, uh, checking the likes on Facebook or uh, the change of followers on uh, LinkedIn pages or on Instagram. It's like a little kick. Is that really true? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, this is what it's all about. Um, this is the Facebook mechanism. This is mm -hmm. uh, Instagram. This is uh, also LinkedIn, which is uh, <laughs> LinkedIn. I really find vicious. 
mm-hmm. um, because it's working with the same mechanisms uh, such as uh, Facebook, but you need it for work. You cannot shut it out. This is this is really vicious here, and yeah, it is a design in a way. They are only successful if you are hooking you, and it's really like, I mean, would you give your child a, a, a crack? <laughs> no, you wouldn't. But we are doing it all the other day, and we are giving it to ourselves as well. And um, yeah, I would like my. Are you tracking your um, your, your screen time uh, on your mobile phone? I do. Okay. <laughs> I okay. do and, uh... Yeah. Do you know how much time you're spending on a daily basis? Too much. <laughs> no, it is. It's it's really. It's, um, I yeah. think screen time came to Apple two years ago, mm. and it's really a lot. I use my mobile phone especially for work, and I, I mean the smartphones are really smarter these days and uh, great replacements to a computer. So I started uh, answering emails on the smartphone yeah. and switched also the communication. And I really love writing. I think I mean, it's like Jeff Bezos, for example, with his six pager, how he runs Amazon. Uh, writing helps me to structure my thoughts and to find a way that I communicate to other people that hopefully it becomes easier for them to understand what I mean. So I have to think through. And this is why I like uh, apps like WhatsApp, for example, or Facebook, uh, to really sit down and uh, structure the thoughts first, send them over, and have a little bit also the advantage of asynchronicity. So that uh, even when the other person is not there, I'm pretty sure that two or three hours later, the message is received. Um, the downside with that is that the screen time is going up. So in a, in a horrible way, really horrible way. So how, how, is, how is your screen time? Uh, up to 30 minutes. What? Mm-hmm. B- 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 half per hour or so per day? <laughs> per day, yeah. Uh, so I uh, avoid it and uh, I don't have push notifications. Mm-hmm. I don't have emails on my phone. And you know what? It works even when I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. I don't have emails there um, because what happens is, um, if I want to document rush, I'm trying to check my emails because I'm getting so many emails. Uh, but I don't care about the content. I just care about oh, I've got a new email, uh, so somebody cared about me. <laughs> um, I, I don't know what the what the underlying thought is, but um, that just gives you a, a document rush. Um, so I try to be as puristic as uh, as as possible regarding the the, the usage of the phone. Uh, I have a thirteen hours screen time on my Mac, uh, MacBook. Yeah, I do. Um, but also there, I try not to open my my uh, my mailbox, like only uh, twice a day uh, for half half hour slots, and also to plan it in ahead on when I open it. Um, because uh, incoming emails are essentially the channel for other people to dictate your actions and life and to-dos. Uh, emails are the to-dos of other people, not yours. Mm-hmm. I am definitely hooked. My screen time is between 10 to 16 hours per day. So it's wow. uh, yeah. um, on, on your mobile phone. No, it's combined. It's combined. Combined, it's combined. yeah. Combined. I mean, yeah. All, all screens that I use, it's the iPad. Yeah. Uh, I also could link in the computer. Mm. And uh, it's the mobile phone. Mm. 
Mm. And uh, I mean, the thing is, what what I like, for example, is uh, investing in listed companies. And uh, with that, I think Warren Buffett said he reads 500 pages per day. And Warren Buffett is coming from a time where everything was printed. So when I look now on the internet, I mean, there are um, websites like Seeking Alpha, for example, where people put out really great analysis of a lot of companies uh, every minute. And I get them in my mailbox. So mm. when I, for example, uh, when I commute or when I'm just bored and say, okay, I have 15 minutes, how can I feel that? I open my mailbox and um, get a summary of the reports with the headlines from Seeking Alpha. Um, just click on it and uh, read through the latest news. And then I share it also on LinkedIn, uh, hoping that if some of my followers or friends of acquaintances are also interested, for example, I mean, currently it's gene editing that is uh, becoming very popular with the latest breakthrough in a clinical phase one trial. And uh, I'm working in drug development. So I just share the information and uh, hope it helps one or the other business acquaintance. And uh, with mm. that, I'm pretty sure that also this uh, vicious dopamine cycle is involved uh, yeah. in the background. I mean, we're all human beings. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's a good way or it's a bad way of, of, of having life, but um, in, in terms of sharing information, there is um, some worth in it, some value in it. Um, but what I heard from you now is that it also triggers uh, a little, that we are basically all on drugs. <laughs> yeah, 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 we are. And so essentially, you're not then creating your own uh, content. And in, in, that, in that moment, you're not following your own agenda, but mm -hmm. in a, the agenda of someone else. And there's also another view and another angle on that. Um, the belief in, in the free will. Mm -hmm. um, because maybe even the belief in God is, is healthier than the belief in the free will. Mm -hmm. I, I believe in neither, uh, I have to say. The belief in God is, is the following, that someone else is in, uh, in the end deciding on what happens. Uh, and it's not yourself. Mm -hmm. This is essentially the, the, the um, uh, what, what this belief is, uh, is, is setting, uh, how, how the belief is setting the paradigm. On the, to the contrary, the belief in your own free will uh, implies something that that is maybe even more vicious, which is um, the meritocracy that we are living in. The upside is, if you're doing good work, and you have some intelligence, um, maybe even uh, yeah, the, 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 the grit and whatever, you're going to get successful and, uh, and you are going to be rewarded. The downside of that is, if you are not successful, if you're at the lower end of the hierarchy, it means you deserve it. At least in the other view, uh, you were at the mercy of God. I mean, uh, yeah, um, I acknowledge that society was then uh, blaming you that you didn't live a rightful way and this is why you're at the, the lower end. Uh, but the meritocracy is actually doing the same thing because it's, uh, it's blaming you. You didn't 
put enough work hours into it. Uh, you were not focused enough and uh, you failed. And you're, it is justified that you are at the, at the lower end. But there are so many personal reasons or other circumstances that just get you there. You get lost, you're on a, on a wrong track. Uh, not only the mobile phone is, uh, um, uh, is hooking you, but also crack uh, or, or something else and you're, you're losing your way. And I think this is dangerous as well. And then it's also, it's, it's saying that you can always be in control of your action, but it denies biology, it denies your psychology. It denies that, let's, let's uh, me like, uh, um, frame it like this. If there are 1000 uh, parallel universes and you are in one specific uh, situation, I believe that, and you have all the history, everything is the same, but only um, the free will would then say, well, you're going to decide sometimes like this and sometimes like this, sometimes like this. And uh, I, I don't think it's true. I think that you are going to, at that point, if you have all the same experience, if everything wasn't identical up to this point, in the 1000 parallel universes, you will always make the same decision. So it means it's predetermined based on your biology, based on mm. your previous experiences. And so if this is the case, we are rather, uh, our life and our actions is rather somehow dictated. Um, so that said, it, it brings you down into a rabbit hole that you probably don't want to be in. How, yeah, this, but, is, this, yeah. Is, this is an interesting discussion I hear on many podcasts. Uh, are we living in a simulation? So are we really uh, in, in real life uh, where we can decide what we want to do or is it just all a simulation? So it's like uh, living in a matrix. Living in a matrix, yeah. I mean, uh, this is another angle on, on that. Uh, however, even if it would be real life, I think um, that, that the, our, our biology and our past experiences and the current circumstances where we are making a decision um, we most likely we are not exerting really free will here. Mm -hmm. We probably don't even have a choice. So if someone is annoying you, thinking of he didn't have a choice in that moment other than to uh, to be annoying, uh, it takes a lot of um, a pressure. Otherwise, on the other hand, if someone is doing something nice uh, uh, for you, uh, it it is also not really helpful with this, this, this kind of thinking. Um, so it is also a little bit in parallel to um, meditation and Zen Buddhism mm -hmm. that you do not judge, but just observe and uh, just let go. Um, and the, the, problem, the problem of that free will probably does not exist is the following, that we are easy to be influenced. And social media is like <laughs> the influencer per se. Yeah. And we have, and uh, I mean, the other aspect of that is what you see on social media is, of course, not real life. It is only moments. And there's a nice book. Um, so, my last book mm -hmm. was The Power of Moments. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really interesting. And uh, I mostly agree, which is um, studies have shown um, a peak end rule, which means that most likely you're only going to memo, uh, memorize. Um, the uh, highs, the, the peaks and, and the lows, and then uh, also the end. 
um, everything in the middle you just blend out somehow. It's not in our uh, our minds so much. Um, and there are many experiments uh, experiments uh, really demonstrating this this effect. Um, like, give me uh, let me give you one example. Uh, let's say uh, a woman is living a wonderful life. Uh, with a nice family, mm -hmm. in, enough uh, in, enough um, wealth in order to, to live a, a pleasurable and satisfying life. Um, she's happy with, with every circumstances um, until she is 80 years old. What happens, a robber comes into her house and kills her viciously. And the other scenario is um, a woman who is um, who loses her husband and doesn't know where her husband is anymore. There's a violent situation and um, maybe a war and your husband is lost and nobody knows whether he lives or not. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't give up and she tries to find him and so forth. And then at, uh, age, uh, um, at the age of 80, she finally finds him. Uh, he was in a, in a prison in a foreign country and you were able to get her out of that, uh, get him out of that situation, and you are finally joining again. And then, um, a couple of months, you die in peace. The which is the scenario that you would prefer from your point of view? Good question. Good question. Good question. Um, I think um, rather the peaceful ending. So uh, mm. I think I'm more drawn to the happy, uh, happy side of life uh, in that respect. Yeah. Uh, with, uh, but is that really the reality of life? I think uh, just have the good sides uh, without the bad, bad sides in life. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's 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 what you're pointing at. Can we really come to to the point to say? can we influence what's happening to us uh, in a way that uh, we absolutely avoid, avoid any drama in the end? Or is that just uh, a far too broad or exaggerated expectation of life uh, that people have? I mean, life is, uh, it's like yin and yang, I would say. It's, you You're know, right. Um, you, you, you need to accept both. Uh, and you never know what what comes around the next corner. I was I sometimes thought in my life, okay, yeah, well, uh, it's good, it's perfect. I mean, it was 2019, for example. I had a conversation with a friend, and um, this, when you look at the history of the human race, especially when you look at Europe, uh, it's basically a, a series of wars. So mm -hmm. since uh, the humans uh, conquered Europe. And they open the history books. It's war after war after war after war after war. And I think it goes back thousands of years. Um, until 1945, when the Second World War ended, and uh, Europe decided, or the, the, the nations decided, to create the European Union and do their best to live peacefully together. So in 2019, I had a conversation with a friend. And um, she said, I mean, look, it's 2019, the last huge war was uh, before 1945. There were, of course, minor conflicts in Europe, but no big wars. And uh, like 1991, for example, there was the crisis in Yugoslavia. Um, but it was over, I think, took three years and uh, Austria was not very much involved. So there were some dangers. But basically, nothing serious happened in Europe. And... Uh, the entire continent uh, prospered economically. 
Uh, also, when you look at the statistics, poverty was going down. So also the distribution of wealth got better and better. I know that it's uh, a separate debate. And traveling, I mean, as an Austrian, it was possible to travel anywhere in the world without any restrictions. And it doesn't matter if it's China, if it's Japan, if it's former Eastern Europe. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, so it was a divided world back then. Uh, and I thought it's a great world, uh, meeting people from all over the world. Many tourists came to Vienna and I thought, okay, is it really that way that we created paradise, uh, that we created the best world? I mean, also acknowledge social media because communication, I mean, this is uh, one positive part in my opinion of social media. Communication at zero expenses with the entire world. So having a telephone conference in the 90s was really hard and difficult or meeting business acquaintances. It needed a lot of time, a lot of travel. And now I'm in our podcast recording. Uh, it doesn't really matter if you are in Austria or if you're in China or if you're in Japan, we can have a conversation together. I mean, luckily, we are, I think we are in the same country currently. So, um, but even if you were citizen of the United States, we could have a conversation. It was not possible before. So I really perceived it as say, okay, the human race is moving forward in a very peaceful and great way. And hopefully that's it. And then came the pandemic. And I think nobody, nobody expected that. Nobody had it in their plan. So, and for some, it was cool. I mean, when I look now at the statistics, poverty is going up again, especially the kids uh, suffering globally from the after effects of the extended lockdowns. Can we really cut it out of life? Uh, I mean, uh, I could have lived without a pandemic, but on the other hand, do we need for sometimes maybe some bad events to become better human beings? What's your opinion on that? I, th I think um, a healthy approach, which is also part of the Zen Buddhism, is not to think in better good. Mm -hmm. um, I think that helps. Um, Getting back to the previous example, uh, so essentially from, from my story, there are three layers uh, uh, that I just figured out based on what you said, which is one, you can't have the good without the bad. And the second layer is um, uh, linked to the meaning of life because essentially you are denying the meaning of life if you're after 60 years of peaceful living, die viciously. Whereas the other person who suffered for 60 years, but found has, um, uh, her husband, um, is, we perceive it as fulfilling the, 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 yeah, um, the sense of life. The, the third layer is another one. Um, you, I mean, most people also do. So you have 60 years of suffering with a happy ending and 60 years of um, happy living with, a, with an unhappy uh, ending. And I mean, objectively, you would just count the, the time frame and say, well, I would prefer 60 years of, um, of, of living um, in, in peace and then maybe uh, die uh, violently, but, but still I would prefer that over 60 years of suffering. Um, but as you said, most of the people don't do that. And there comes the problem. So we as a human being, uh, we rather value the lows, highs, and the end. This means the following. Social media 
there you, are there you are showing the highs and the lows, but you are only showing them. You're not showing like an everyday activity. Mm -hmm. So what happens is people start pretending and designing the highs. Uh, like if you're in, a, in an exotic country in a, in a really nice uh, spot uh, where many tourists are, uh, you see them taking photos. Like you see the line in the back, and then one person and uh, uh, enjoying the uh, supposedly enjoying the nature, but actually they are in distress because they want to have to create this wonderful moment, at least mm -hmm. on on this picture or in this video, um, and then show the other uh, uh, other human beings this this high. And this is denying us from. You cannot live a life with being at wonderful spots all the time, uh, unless you're you don't have a job and uh, you, you, you're rich. Uh, and even then, those people that are showing you those highs are they are in distress when 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 on those moments, like taking one hour in order to take a beautiful picture. I mean, what kind of life is this? Um, and this comes back to habits and. Uh, Habits are like the boring tasks of designing your everyday life. Um, and I think the most of most of the value is created there. If you only look at the high at the, at the, at the peak, um, you, you I think denying the bulk of uh, of life, what is what is beneath that? I mean, for instance, you're looking at a rock star and say, Wow, he really uh, is a genius person. Have you seen him on stage? There are millions of fans raving when he even winks. Uh, um, and I, I want to, I want to be that person. What they don't see is they don't want to put in how, how much work he put into it. Or people want to be Elon Musk uh, that uh, <laughs> creates a surge and the crash of cryptocurrencies. Like his his simple tweets are changing the world uh, in an instant. How cool is that? Mm. You have no idea how you got there. There, it was years and decades of suffering, starting in his childhood, and it was the way he was raised, the way he experienced experienced pain like physical and mental pain which is which has actually led to him being being the way he is with this uh with this uh, issues of uh i mean does he have a stable family no because it is the dysfunctionality that made him great in this area and we are only looking at the good side but not what it took in order for him to get there so again you are here at yin and yang and um, the problem is that we're probably only blending out the bad side and only looking at the good side and craving for the good ones and uh, either faking it or in a superficial way trying to, 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 to get there. Like only have the great idea, only have the great business model, the great timing. And I think this also helps that I, I don't say that I was the, the uh, innovator. I say the innovation has found us mm -hmm. because Luckily, there were so many circumstances, cultural, and in many circumstances that I cannot change. And again, this, uh, this is against the, the free will again, that it just happened that I was the one to, uh, yeah, to, to find the solution um, on which the, the company is based. Um, 
but it's not my acknowledge uh, it's it's not my my uh, my superiority in any way it is just the circumstances of life uh, and mind and space especially made it happen um, and it takes a lot of the judgment of good and bad i think i was i was thinking i mean uh, meditation i think the the best sentence that i can bring up is it it sharpens the perception of reality Mm-hmm. And uh, what you said, I completely agree to that. Um, um, back to your story of the the two of the same women uh, with one suffering uh, in all her life and uh, the other one living a happy life. Maybe they lived the same life and they just had a different perception of how their life is and just interpreted it uh, in their unique ways. Uh, what you said also with uh, with the end result, I mean, social media is of course glorious. So, owning 200 billion like jeff bezos mm-hmm. um who doesn't want that uh, I, i read that uh, his latest mm-hmm. yacht that he is i think in the process of buying um costs 1.5 billion dollars mm-hmm. um i think it makes many people uh envy his situation and envy him but mm-hmm. looking back on his life where he started i mean in 1994 uh I, The first interview I saw was just, uh, he was called the nerd of the Amazon in 1997. So everybody laughed about Jeff Bezos back then. Mm. And uh, when we look now at his success, of course, I mean, it looks glorious, but uh, selling books over the internet, uh, the general perception when uh, I studied my studies and we discussed the case of Amazon, the general response was it's, Who needs a sales channel online? We have bookstores. We have everything. And uh, he's providing nothing new. It's just a different kind of selling. But why should people go online when they can go to the bookstore around the corner? And I think the the way that uh, meditation helps is to get a better feeling in the process of creating something uh, than looking on the uh, on the outcome. Uh, mm. What he did, in my opinion, is uh, he created no matter what other people said. Mm. So he just fall, fell in love with the process of serving the world with creating uh, something that brings values, a uh, value to readers. And the value Jeff Bezos brought to me was basically quite simple. Uh, selling books online was one thing, but the second thing he did, and this was remarkable, is opening the library of the world and making accessible and available all books in print. And um, I don't know if Jeff Bezos meditates, but uh, I think meditation is a way to get a better feeling on the process that uh, no matter whether you can uh, influence of uh, what's happening to you or is it really free will, you just keep going, you just keep practicing, you just keep moving forward mm-hmm. and trust that this these little habits that people create will reprogram directions and subconscious decisions in a way that they just every day come a little bit closer in the right or move a little bit more in the right direction so it's just mm. a little bit but over 40 50 years it has a huge impact and i mean now before the seven when i look back at uh, people i studied with i mean some decided to just go to a bar every night and uh, kept made it a lifestyle Some are happy. I mean, it's perfect. They, they can socialize every day. They have their families, they have their friends, and they found their way. But others are unhappy. 
and others uh, didn't do a lot of uh, different things. They just made uh, minor adaptions, so making uh, an exam and uh, not partying every night. And on the long run, it made a huge difference. So meditation, I mean, it's an endless discussion uh, what meditation is and is not and uh, what it can open and uh, cannot open. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think it's worth trying and it's definitely something. Ray Dalio, for example, uh, meditates regularly and he also said in his book, uh, Seer Principles, that meditation is a way to sort out your own mind. This was, uh, I think, the mm -hmm. summary. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, and I would add to that that, um, that there, there are maybe two points that I would add. Uh, Jeff Bezos. Uh, I mean, the early days, yes, he was perceived as, as the nerd and he had a broken down car, <laughs> <laughs> although he was rich at decent paper and, and he didn't care about that. And he had mm -hmm. this relentless culture in his company that, no, we are driving costs down. We're only doing the bare minimum. No, you don't get a desk. We, we are buying a, a door and this serves as your desk. Um, because it's much cheaper and even it's, a, it's, it's really just creating a cult. However, if you look at, he was the laughed cult at. of the Emerson. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. But now if you see how he was laughed at, laughed at, at and preserved as the nerd, mm -hmm. and now he is doing, trying to do the opposite. So I think he was impacted and influenced a lot by the criticism he received back then. So first mm -hmm. it, it, uh, um, uh, it, yeah. It drove his ambition even further to be successful. So without the resistance, he probably wouldn't have been that successful. Uh, and then um, he's, I think, making up for for, <laughs> um, for for his earlier days and his and his perception in order to create something uh, something new. Yeah, I think uh, this is also a book worth reading. It's in uh, Invent and Wonder. So also from Jeff Bezos. So. I am not affiliated to Jeff Bezos, so I don't make any money with that. <laughs> Just this disclaimer. And also the title of the podcast, I mean, originally it was Beginner's Mind. Uh, it's also coming from, from Zen Buddhism. And what's remarkable in this book is um, when it's basically a summary of all the letters he wrote to the shareholders. And there is one pattern in it. And um, he recommends and he ends every letter with it's still day one. So its recommendation is to start really every day in business like it's the first day in your business and you have to still figure it out. Never come to the point in developing your business or your life that you say, I know everything and that's it because this is the end. And he always says it's still day one, even 27 years later in his final letter, he said it's still day one. So we still have to figure out how to serve our customers in the best way. And this was the second paradigm he expresses. He wants to create Amazon as the most customer-centric company. And I think these two principles made him that successful. And probably he meditates. So it's a lot of Zen in that. <laughs> Serve other <laughs> yeah. people and never expect that you know everything and mm. continue working on improving yourself. Yeah, I think this is really important. Um, uh, someone else uh, says that every day his goal is to find out how he's wrong. So, each day learn that he failed at something mm -hmm. um, and to understand then uh, thereafter why um, as, as a goal, you know, and especially if you, if you're in, in business, but I think it, 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 it applies to, to every, everything in life is um, to not take things for granted. 
I mean, this is the one one lesson, mm -hmm. and have an open eye on what you're overlooking and what you're not doing right, um, because uh, you're you're listening more to uh, to to others. Um, yeah. I agree. I mean, the, the thing with meditation in my life was that uh, sometimes it's great. Uh, I like in the evening going to the gym and uh, sitting in the sauna and meditate for 15 minutes. Um, in the morning, I'm not really meditation in the morning. Uh, I love, I, I, I think running, for example, is, uh, is meditation uh, in movement. Um, what role in your life plays exercising? I mean, you said uh, you start your day with sleeping, which I think is great news for everybody. Uh, then you move uh, to the next step, it's meditating. Uh, did you also, in your routine, in the habits you created, also integrate exercising? Absolutely. The next, the direct next step after meditation is immediately exercise. Mm -hmm. And I don't run anymore. <laughs> um, And I mean, I've tried many different things. I went to the gym, then I went there five times a week. I have I, a very broad definition of running, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I, uh, I tried to run, but uh, I also did it like even when it was raining or storming. Um, I did climbing a lot, like mm -hmm. uh, 20 hours uh, a week at some point. I don't do that anymore. I also, so why? because it's it is easily disrupted and the worst thing is getting out of a habit and a habit actually from from my point of view implies that you're doing it every day you're not running maybe even every uh, every day the, but the problem with running is especially in order to recharge i and many other people need a calm environment um, in order to recharge, you don't want to be in New York, in a city, where you're bumping into another person like every every second, uh, because it's you're you're not you you literally are not recharging and uh, um, you're you're feeling more distressed than than otherwise. So you need rather I think a, a calm environment. Best would be the nature. I don't have that any uh, all the time when I'm traveling each week uh, for several days. I'm always in a new location and it um, demands willpower to plan the new route and uh, to have <laughs> to start somewhere where I don't, uh, where I'm not inhaling smoke uh, and uh, all, all the dust that there, there might be. Um, and it, it's a, I, I cannot do that anymore. Anyway. So what I'm doing is bodyweight training because I can do it anywhere. And um, so I do not break my habits. Um, and I mean, I've tried uh, to, to run on business travel. So it is demanding that you remind yourself to take your shoes with you. And um, it takes a lot of space as well, <laughs> especially if you have a, a, big, uh, a, a, a big foot, a big feet. Um, and Yes, yeah, so the, the functionality didn't work for me. So I resort to something that is equally good, uh, does, doesn't demand um, too much time and um, too much equipment that I wouldn't have uh, anywhere. Yeah, it made, it made me think about my own life. Um, did a lot of martial arts. And then I had the same problem that you described. Uh, I can't take the dojo with me everywhere I travel. Um, the martial arts I did basically are spread out all over the world, but still it needs a lot of planning uh, 
to find a hotel close to a dojo and uh, plan the business trips accordingly. So my solution was running. Because what pair of running shoes I can take with me all the time. And then I got a little bit addicted to running and did, uh, I think, 17 marathons in two years. So initially the experience was, oh, running is pretty easy. When I can run 1K, let's try it and skate it up. But the definition was very broad because it was not very fast. So it's not the, I never aimed on in uh, running a marathon in world-class time. It's just getting over the distance and just repeat the process. Um, and then I also came to bodyweight training because, uh, as you said, I mean, I grew older and uh, sometimes running in uh, China was trips to China, for example. I mean, uh, some cities don't, uh, are a little bit polluted uh, as we send all the industries that pollute the environment to China from Europe. So uh, running in this environment was not very uh, attractive to me. So I also started then with body weight training. And this is like simple things, push-ups, squats, crunches, uh, rolling, sun salutation and stuff like that, or yoga. It just needs a hotel room. So there is a lot of in it. So without breaking the habits. What are the health benefits of exercising? Um healthy body healthy mind um, um but if you're doing it especially in the early in the day you're getting the first feeling of success so first mm -hmm. you're having a head start and then you reliably create a dopamine rush and a feel of satisfaction that but you have why, earned but why is this dopamine rush better than the rush from social media i mean you can also wake up uh and instead of ex i mean finger exercising for example with the iphone uh just uh this is the scrolling motion i guess when when i go through facebook or instagram <laughs> it also creates dopamine rushes why is there a difference in the dopamine rush because you've earned it and you know you've earned it like you don't yeah. think it's it's earning enough what marks no no because because you know, no because you know you didn't really do something productive mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure about the uh, hormones specifically. Whether the yeah. hormones are different, even maybe, maybe there's also a, uh, also a difference. Um, but it gives you um, a satisfaction that has longevity mm. over the brevity. Because um, actually, if you find yourself spending two hours on on social media, although you only wanted to distract you like for a couple of minutes. Uh, you're going to regret the time that you have lost because now you have even more distress in order to catch up with the work you had. And then you're in a bad mindset and then you want another dopamine rush in order to make up for that. And this is kind of a, kind of a vicious cycle and recognizing this is, is really hard and takes a lot of willpower that you won't have at, at the day and then you're exhausted fighting your, 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 your cravings all the time and you cannot do the work that you actually wanted to do. I think what you say is, uh, is a key point. So when I exercise, um, I set a daily goal. So it's it's not that I just exercise as long as I want. So I just say, okay, um, time is not a good goal for me for now. Mm. So I set goals like uh, today I want to do uh, 10K run slash walking. So I said I have a very broad definition now before the seven of what running is. Uh, but I want to get the distance in. And then also say I want to do 100 push-ups, 100 squats, 100 crunches, uh, let's say 100 sun salutations throughout the day. 
And uh, when I can check that off, it's really a great feeling of satisfaction of having achieved something. While, and this is the, this is the, the crucial point for me. Uh, I also have social media. And sometimes when I realized that uh, I got trapped on social media and was just scrolling for 15 minutes, it really put some a little bit of, in my opinion, positive stress on me to say, okay, let focus back on your goals. So just put the iPhone away. And I believe many people don't have that. So they just really spend a lot of time on social media, uh, being unproductive and not achieving what they want to achieve uh, without even realizing it. Yeah, you're, uh, you're right. So what is probably important here is that if you demand too much of yourself for, on an everyday basis, um, it has a lot of downside as well. Mm -hmm. Let me give you two examples. Um, um, Seinfeld, uh, his goal is for every day to write one little joke. And that's it. If he writes more, awesome. But otherwise, it's fine. Um, Stephen King just demands himself to write a little uh, amount of, uh, of text every day, just consistently. Mm -hmm. If he's writing more, that's fine, but otherwise he won't uh, distress himself too much. And when, when exercising, um, so what I found, find out is, although like from, from a, a training point of view, it would be better to, to do every day to do something else to to, to switch and uh, improve and increase but i find that is actually um not really it's not actually in the habit because it demands you to think to get the red training and uh, and so forth and sometimes um yeah you, your body doesn't want to do this at one exercise and if you're demanding too much um You, you need willpower in order to still do it. And then you're, uh, maybe your willpower is de depleted for the day because you already spent everything on, on that particular thing. So having the goals in a way that you can easily do it every day mm -hmm. is really helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're doing it every day, the effect is far better than having a really a goal that you can boast uh, to mm -hmm. others about and say, yes, I've done so, so many, uh, so many kilometers or, or whatever it might be. Uh, so like little and every day, <laughs> I think uh, really does a trick because, well, uh, if you're doing more, then you are, then you are, you are having a happy feeling about it because yeah, you did even more. And if you're feeling sick, I still do the, uh, yeah, the, the, the low number of um, uh, repetitions that you uh, envisioned, you're still happy and you don't beat up yourself about it. Because if you start beating up yourself about it, you hesitate to do it in the first place because you know, uh, today I won't do it. And then you're getting out of a habit. And I think um, the habit uh, is maybe even more important. Yeah, there was, um, there's this book, Atomic Habits. Yes, I love um, it. And um, I think one article I read uh, from from a, a different writer who, but preferring it to Atomic Habits and Habit, uh, she said that the problem of people is when they make new resolutions, that they set the bar so high um, that like running a marathon in one month without having any proper training before, it's it's a really big goal. 
So it, it's nothing uh, that comes easy or is simple to accomplish. And then I think that what you said happens that um, after the first week of training, uh, without having running experience, also one kilometer can be very demanding. Mm. Uh, and then bringing the mind to a point to accept doing it for 42 kilometers when the first one is already terrible, uh, probably breaks then uh, the people uh, emotionally and say, okay, let's, let's just ditch it. And uh, what she said then is uh, apply the principles of atomic habits. Yes. Just make a small step and the next day make it a little bit bigger. And the day after make it a little bit bigger again. And soon you will just move in the right direction and uh, sometimes it takes one year sometimes it might take five years but as long as you move in the right direction everything is fine so this is uh i think you're real right with that uh, having too too big of a goal uh inflicts the ability of uh, maintaining a habit over time yeah absolutely i mean new year's new year's resolutions are you're trying to make up for something in a big way um, so you're looking at the past year and you say, well, I didn't do this and that and that, although I, I promised to myself I would. So I'm making up for it. So mm -hmm. I'm doing what I planned last year and on top I am doing this. And again, you're creating a moment in terms of, wow, mm -hmm. I'm going to accomplish this big thing that I can boast about also and maybe in social media, but it's another aspect. <laughs> and then the goal is so overarching high mm -hmm. that uh, you you despair. Um, and also, it's, even if you do it, wow, then you have done one marathon. Yep. This doesn't do the trick. You need to do 17 then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. And uh, Atomic Habits also tries to something else in terms of a habit only works if it is linked to another habit. Like, if I'm doing this, and when I'm ended, I'm doing this, and then I'm doing this. So essentially, however, it demands you almost to plan out your day. Um, but at least you need some some iron, something that you always are doing to recognize uh, this, that, oh, this, uh, this habit is in place. So I'm brushing my teeth anyway. Okay. Uh, so I'm also going to use a tooth cloth uh, before I actually uh, um, brush my teeth. Uh, then, it, then it becomes a habit and I don't have to um, yeah, exert any willpower because it's just normal. Uh, takes a minute and fine, uh, and fine. Uh, then it's done. Um, or also to uh, brush your teeth consciously. <laughs> Not just, yeah, like really know, okay, now I'm doing this side and then this side and then this side. And um, yeah, to just be, be more conscious about, uh, about what you're doing, which is of course um, uh, hard, but yeah, is a good practice of uh, of um, being being focused and That's not distracted true. too easily. Yeah, I mean there are two key points in my opinion. The, uh, from what you say is uh, one is learn to understand your goal setting process better and what it does to you. I think this is a key point for entrepreneurs because uh, an entrepreneur does not have only to set goals for himself. They also need to set proper goals for employees. And throwing very big goals on all people in the company might be helpful for some who want to achieve something big, but it might break others. So getting a feeling and a sense of what's the right size of a goal that it motivates a person and keeps the person moving forward 
uh, is, re is really key to success. And I think exercising is one possibility for every entrepreneur to just practice uh, this aspect of, uh, of entrepreneurial life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you can maybe envision that um, uh, Jerry Seinfeld would be capable of doing 10 jokes a day mm. uh, by, by now, but still he is only doing one. Mm. And the reason for that is he, he never gets disappointed because the one he can easily manage. <laughs> The, the disappointment is it, it creates again a feeling of loss mm -hmm. and you don't want that it's actually great that you're even doing this one job it is wonderful um he very well can at some days uh, do 100 yeah this is a bonus this is a plus you can reward yourself for that mm -hmm. but the high if you're setting the goals higher every day mm -hmm. or every month um the chance of being disappointed is uh, getting get, it gets better uh, gets higher and breaking the habit becomes more um, more of a probability, and then you're out again. Um, so, despite despite your capability to doing uh, more jokes a day, just keeping at one, at least, uh, mm -hmm. will make you happy. Will probably just make you happier. You know, this compounds over time. I'm pretty sure. Bruce Lee put uh, a different turning, another turning on that. He said. Uh, a goal is not always something that uh, needs to be achieved. Uh, it's just something to aim at. So it's just uh, being, an, it's just a North Star pointing in the right direction. It's not necessary to achieve it every day. I think it's, it just resembles what you say about uh, Absolutely. the Jerry Seinfeld yeah. example. Uh, and the interesting thing is many successful people say something similar that you say that in the end, uh, they were astonished uh, when they applied. It's also this uh, 2080 pr principle. So it's basically 20% of the actions uh, produce 80% of the result. Uh, it's, it's very bluntly you know there's a huge debate going on about uh, if this is right or not, if it's 30, 70 or 90, 10 or something like that. But it basically points in the same direction that all successful people say in the end, uh, you discover that it doesn't need a lot of things that need to be done every day to become successful. It's only really a few habits, like you say, I mean, one joke every day and Jerry Seinfeld in the generation I grew up was pretty famous. I don't know if the millennials today or uh, Teen Set <laughs> or something uh, remember him. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So we have basically sleeping, mm -hmm. meditating, exercising and uh, we also uh, were talking about setting goals in a proper way uh when you look at your day what comes next then after you after you uh finished exercising after finished exercising um especially when i am uh, at our wonderful office in in Atase. <laughs> so it's uh, um i go for, uh, i go for a swim and then uh, uh i start the work and the way i do it ideally is that i plan um my day with setting goals personal and mm -hmm. professional mm -hmm. i say if i accomplish this i am i'm happy the day is a success this is my 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 moment this is my uh yeah, my, my my true goal for this day and to be able to really focus on, on on that and to be to feel satisfied if i'm i only accomplished this Although, although I have more and more to do. And then also um, planning my day in my calendar, like having really slots on 
what I'm doing when. And what helps there as well is uh, because I have so many meeting requests mm. and uh, in previous times, they were just bombing my day and uh, distracting me completely uh, because one meeting was there, another was there. So now I'm setting um, on, a, on a weekly basis um, blocks of time uh, on a specific day in the afternoon um, where I am available for meetings and for uh, people that are in different time zones. Uh, I have a special block uh, only once a week in the, in the morning. Um, so to accommodate the different time zones as well. But I know everything else is reserved for deep work and I can schedule on which task is going to take how much time and I'm going to get it done. Mm. Um, um, and yeah, so this is how I'm applying my day. This is something that Elon Musk also recommends and uh, that is um, by definition, I think, or some writers say this is why he's so successful, this time blocking or time boxing. Um, where you basically sit down, think which tasks you want to accomplish and it's in a similar way, not too much. And then just block the time on your calendar and focus on this one single task and not hundred other things yeah. and cutting back on meeting times, uh, with, with other people. I think this is, uh, yeah. probably, um, one of the insights that, uh, entrepreneurs who have run a company for a longer period of time make when I look at uh, young entrepreneurs, especially in startup programs, uh, I'm sometimes very surprised uh, how packed their calendars are with uh, meeting other people. And then of course, they have also these problems that when one person starts shifting their schedule, it also has a cascading effect. And uh, when, when young entrepreneurs call me up for, for advice, it's not one time that they then uh, cancel the meeting 15 minutes before and uh, or no. try to or try to shift it because they mm. just uh, put everything in their uh, daily routine, um, which is impossible to accomplish. And sometimes mm. um, I don't know if it creates success having uh, having too much having too, uh, too too packed packed life. What's your opinion? Um, yeah, you need uh, the flexibility. Um, otherwise you, you're going to be burned out. Like if you're doing the time boxing, mm-hmm. most often the time there are tasks where you cannot predict how much time you need to spend for this because they're surprises. Otherwise mm-hmm. you're doing, doing really, uh, <laughs> low level stuff, but normally you are getting a lot of mm-hmm. surprises, if mm-hmm. you're, uh, um, uh, digging deeper. So, uh, again, what you said before is also the attitude about it. I don't punish myself. Okay, this task takes longer than I anticipated and planned. I just um, adjust the, the, the time box that I had for that and increase the time. If I'm doing it right, uh, I was allocating anyways uh, four hours or six hours of time that can uh, work without any interruption and without any meetings. So it doesn't hurt me. I don't have to reschedule and, and, and stuff like that. So just knowing that in the afternoon, I'm going to have the meetings, hopefully with some some, some buffer time, um, helps, I think, uh, a lot. So I think it's, yeah, you at some point you have to plan ahead and say, like, the next six weeks, this is the time that I need. Uh, and this, the ironic, ironic thing, again, is by <laughs> planning and limited, limiting your time, you're gaining the freedom to do what you want, actually. This is also, I think, key... Uh having the right attitude to fail. Um, 
I, I like playing around with new things and new ideas. And uh, last year I got into writing and I discovered this Medium platform. And uh, init initially it was just uh, writing an article once in a while and to facilitate this life science get-together platform. So it was with the conference, I wrote an article and I thought that's it. And then I discovered that interestingly, there are, there are new business models evolving right, right now that people can make money online with becoming influencers and like TikTok, for example, or YouTube and also Medium as a business model. And uh, since then, I just got more and more into writing. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot how to structure ideas. And um, this platform is particularly interesting because you have uh, a lot of writers there who set daily goals. And um, the daily goals are very interesting because they write more than, um, for example, Stephen King is doing, Tim Denning is one of those writers. And his goal is uh, to become the most read writer on the internet. So the biggest influencer there. And also they say, I mean, uh, human beings are not machines. So sometimes uh, it's not possible for him to write and uh, to meet his goals. So getting this right attitude to fail, especially when, uh, for example, with me, I mean, I thought, okay, I can sit down and write an article every day, which basically is impossible without writing experience. Uh, but then acknowledging that to say, okay, I sat down, I did a little bit, and now I need to learn to just do it again the next day and it will... Uh, get better over time. And this is also what these writers say on this platform, just trust in the process of training writing because your writing will get better automatically. Mm. And as long as you enjoy it and have the right attitude, everything is fine. Uh, and what you said uh, that sometimes people don't, I think they just have the wrong attitude. So, okay, he sits down, they can't uh, write 10 articles every day immediately. And then they punish themselves and say, okay, I'm a failure. It doesn't work, and I'm not good in that. And I think this 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 attitude approach is really key to success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can only fail when you give up or when you die. Mm -hmm. I mean, otherwise it's a learning opportunity, oh. and if you do not stand up again, um, yeah, then you have failed. Right. If defeat is a state of mind, uh, according to Bruce Lee. So mm. nobody's defeated as long as they don't accept defeat as a reality. Right. Yeah. And um, I mean, you can also extend it. Does it really end after death? This is really the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's another discussion. Yes. Mm. But let's stay in, uh, stay in, uh, stay in this life. Um, mm. So from what I got from our conversation, so it's basically starting with sleep, meditating, exercising, then uh, setting goals in the right way and also accepting that initially it might uh, not be possible to just uh, understand well enough what the right size of goals are and accepting that. So let's put it that mm. way. Yeah. Um, but still be a human beings. Do you need to eat sometimes or did you already uh, transcend in a way that... Uh, some people hope to do it. Also, I love eating, I have to say. So this is one of my, 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 my biggest uh, challenges to just stay on the, on the right path on that. Uh, how do you treat nutrition in your life? At some point, and um, sometimes still, uh, I resort to liquid food, uh, especially in the morning. Um, because having a 
uh, a good breakfast can just take just half an hour of your time. Um, uh, of course, <laughs> uh, the liquid food doesn't really work if uh, your other half is, is not doing it and it becomes <laughs> some, somehow antisocial. Um, but I have no problem to, to resort to liquid food. Um, so that's one. And then, um, but for lunch and so, uh, we are cooking every day, you know, even in the office, we're cooking mm -hmm. a lot, um, as healthy as, as possible. And um, the funny thing is that in the early days when I, when I was uh, awake uh, until really late time and uh, slept uh, like until 9 a.m. or whatever, I had a bad start in the day. And then the food, after the food, I was like uh, uh, in, a, in a coma. So I was I really has, have seen a, a performance decline. And since I'm sleeping less, and then doing even exercise uh, after the food intake, I don't feel that um, that fatigue that I earlier felt. Mm -hmm. um, although I'm sleeping much less than, than than before from these sleeping hours alone. What do you eat besides liquid food? So in, in the morning. <laughs> um, whatever I like. And um, in, in terms of, uh, I, I'm not on a diet. I'm mm -hmm. not saying I eat keto or I eat this or that or um, uh, yes, a lot of meat or no meat at all. No, uh, I eat what my what I feel my body just seems to need. Um, and then other, of course, um, <laughs> looking at some some ground rules of uh, on, uh, I don't eat uh, stuff that is obviously healthy unhealthy or really pre-processed um, I don't even like that mm. um, I don't even eat really chocolate so uh, like a bar of chocolate it can take a, a month for me to eat it I'm, I'm surprised by the lifestyle of Warren Buffett I mean as you mentioned uh, junk food or processed food I think he lives uh, in one book. Uh, uh, it's written that uh, Warren Buffett attributes his age to uh, McDonald's and Coca-Cola and all the chemistry in it that conserved his body to function properly in his 90s. Uh, do no, you see it uh, no. similar? <laughs> no, absolutely not. No. Um, I, I hear that Jeff Bezos in, the, in his early days was always having the same breakfast. So he was mm -hmm. standing up earlier than, than his wife. And he always had the same junk food in the morning. I don't recall what it really was, but it was some kind of muffin, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. So he was warming it up uh, and really uh, eating it really in a fast way and then heading off and rushing off to work. Um, the only lesson to take in there is that um, he didn't have to think, he didn't have to make something. Uh, it was some, somehow reliable. Mm -hmm. um, and he was, it was just taking a, a thought process and, and willpower out of, his, uh, of, of this moment so he could concentrate better on his, mm -hmm. on his work. Um, but otherwise, 
uh, yeah, if you eat McDonald's, uh, you're being, being uh, tired thereafter and uh, you're going to crave more of that food and um, Coca-Cola is the same. So um, no, I, I don't even buy water. I drink tap water. Uh, mm. If you are lucky to have clean water access, of course. We are blessed in Austria. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's this one point that you you mention uh, uh, constantly in this conversation. It's uh, conserving willpower and mm. uh, for for decision making. I guess uh, I think we should expand a little bit on that. What that really means. Um, why habits help to conserve willpower? Why is that helpful? It is helpful for the following reasons um first you're on autopilot but doing something good for yourself mm -hmm. you're designing your day and for real actual deep work you need willpower because you have to force yourself to dig as deep as possible in order to eradicate a problem once and for all and <laughs> most of the time when a, a task so what I see is that I can do a task that mm -hmm. others take three months. I take three days. Mm -hmm. And this is not even an exaggeration. Um, however, those three days are really fully focused only on this one task. And I force myself to get as deep as possible. Um, if Because the only reason why it's stretched to three months is that you're hitting a roadblock mm -hmm. and you're craving for a good feeling because right now you have a bad feeling. Oh, you have to solve this. Oh, how do I do it? I have no idea. Oh, let's let, let's check our mails. Maybe there's a mail. Mm -hmm. Oh, let's let's go to Facebook. Maybe maybe someone has liked my post. Oh, then I've got a feeling about, about, about that again. Then I'm getting back to work and I see that roadblock again. Oh, let's go for a walk. Yeah. And it doesn't work. I acknowledge that um, there are, I absolutely acknowledge, there are roadblocks that you cannot solve at that moment. You can solve it after sleeping and you're just solving it in a subconscious way. You should, you, sometimes you have to do something else. Sometimes you do have to go for a walk. But if you're mm -hmm. constantly going for a walk for every uh, roadblock that, that you uh, um, discover, you're not going, you're, you're stuff done. And the, the like four hours of, of deep work it has to be really focused um and it, i think this is the most productive state that you can be in and you know what the uh, second most favorable uh, emotion is of human beings no nope. i mean the, the, the first one is love the second one is productivity okay. the feeling of having been productive Re really love is the first and productivity is the second yes. one I didn't know that. Look, looking looking back at the day and say, wow, I've accomplished something here on a personal or professional level. Mm -hmm. This is satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And this is why we are beating up ourselves so much and then trying to, to get the dopamine rush in order to cover up for it. Mm -hmm. that's, an important, I, that's an important mm -hmm. message. So to, to understand how... I think in, in that respect, all people are a little bit different. So it, what, what, um, what might work for one? So one might uh, feel satisfactions when they, let's say, practiced uh, guitar. The other one might 
gain satisfaction. Like Stephen King is a writer. So he defines himself as a writer. And from what you say, when people don't spend time thinking about uh, what they want to accomplish in life, uh, they are more prone to getting addicted with social media, for example, or other addictive substances um, to make up for that, for that gap in life. So productivity is really something uh, that's necessary for feeling satisfied in the end of the day. And, yes, of course. And knowing then also the direction you want to go is, I think, the second component to that. So because I mean, uh, we are having podcasts, but uh, if I don't enjoy recording podcasts, it would be useless to sit here and say, "Okay, I made five podcasts this day. Uh, I didn't accomplish anything." So, I mean, this brings me to the point: How can you uncover that? Do you have you ever thought about journaling so that you sit down and write and uh, what satisfies you and uh, what works for you and what doesn't? Um, it's a really good point. Um, so before I answer this question, I uh, get back to the productivity. You are right. So in order to feel productive, you need to know what you really want to do. So essentially, you need this, this the meaning of life for your own personal life. And then having the feeling that you're making progress towards this this uh, this meaning of life. And I think this is where, where that comes uh, comes from. And then to the second question, um, let's say it is on, on, it is on my bucket list uh, in a way that um, in some way I am journaling because I'm setting consciously daily goals and plan my day ahead. So what is missing yet is in the evening to wrap up and say, I've accomplished this and this and I've uh, accomplished the goal of my day. Um, I'm grateful for, for this because a year ago, this would be <laughs> unthinkable. You're all of a sudden consulting the, the Austrian government on the healthcare of the future. You're con consulting the Federal Federation of Health Insurers. Wow. You can call the BioNTech co-founder a friend. Um, Wow, uh, this is what I think journaling accomplishes uh, to take a step back and look what look at the little little things that you have achieved out there that you're fortunate to experience. Yeah, yeah I think it, it also I think it helps. I mean, Matthew McConaughey, uh, Conaghy, the the actor in his book Green Lights, he attributed all his success to constant journaling since he was a kid. Um, to just separate the things he dislikes and the things he likes. And yep. it's pretty much what you say. I mean, otherwise, you uh, other people are in the driver's seat. If Absolutely. Uh, you yep. don't work on finding out who you are, what you want. Yep. And what you also said with, with habits, getting in the right direction, um, knowing what you want, the vision of your life, I think then the business is just, uh, um, how should I say, a part of the process then of uh, creating lasting satisfaction and happiness yep. for yourself. Uh, and this is the reason then to found a business because then you can expand into a broader realm, but without knowing what you want, just, just creating a business for being an entrepreneur and uh, making money. I think, this, uh, I think this is probably more um, tapping into the dopamine rushes and hoping yes. that with uh, more money on the bank account, happiness comes, yes. but ultimately it won't. Money yeah not the key driver of satisfaction 
You know what our biggest payment to our employees is? A sense of meaning of life. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, I'm asking each uh, applicant um, in the interview process, um, what would you do if you die four years from now? In, in any any regard. And mm -hmm. let's say, of course, this is a hypothetical. You're not going to die, don't worry, but, <laughs> but what, you do, what would you do? And other questions are like, um, and this, uh, what is your big, what is your biggest success in life? Mm -hmm. And then for both questions, I, I ask why. And so often I, I ask so often why until they have no answer anymore. And we almost, um, it's, it's, get, it's getting emotional, but the main thing it, it accomplishes is first of all, to understand how they are, um, how they think, mm -hmm. and what they value. What is their value system? Is it aligned with our culture at Symptoma? Or do they want something else? Mm -hmm. And if it is aligned, I can tell them, well, what Symptoma is about. I mean, Symptoma is a digital health assistant. Mm -hmm. um, our vision is that we want to live in a world where every patient uh, not only deserves, but gets the right diagnosis and treatment. Mm -hmm. And our mission is to eliminate the uh, guesswork from medicine. And um, this is how, how it uh, works is that um, patients and doctors enter their symptoms, answer questions, and receive a list of matching causes sorted by probability. And thus we help patients to even uncover ultra rare diseases. And 15 years of uh, track record, and yeah, a lot of traction, uh, uh, fortunately, and um, currently. So, uh, but our team members, especially the senior guys and girls, they forgo higher wages that they previously had, or, uh, or other higher-paying offers that they're constantly also getting, in order to work for Symptoma, mm -hmm. because they're doing something that has a meaning of of life. That for, for me, it is the following that um, I became a doctor because I wanted to, in a positive way, impact the patient's lives. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that for me was via uh, improving their health. The best way um, to do that, do that at scale was not to become a single medical doctor myself. I mean, I am a one, but not to practice, but to, to scale the effort via a business. So Symptoma is just a vehicle for the purpose of my life as I envision it. Mm -hmm. Selling the company, I don't care about that. And then the, the revenues, yes, it has to be sustainable, of course, because it's part of the, uh, of the purpose, but it's not in order to get the rich and to buy a yard for 1.5 billion. I don't care about that. I'm happy for Jeff if he's getting satisfaction out of that. Um, we have put everything on the line, Thomas and my, my co-founder and I. So uh, we are working together since 19 years. Mm -hmm. uh, I was the best man at his wedding. He was the... Um, uh, we have a great, uh, great relationship uh, and... Um, we, we trust each other even beyond beyond death. Though so when I die, he's getting my shares. Mm -hmm. uh, 
my company shares, and he's deciding on how to help my family best. Mm-hmm. He didn't he didn't set anything in writing on how to do that. I trust his judgment. And um, that said, I'm doing something that brings uh, that satisfies my my will in order to have a purpose in life uh, with people that ad- I admire and respect um, with a team uh, that I'm really um, humbled to have, sharing our vision, um, forming a culture that in the end is helping uh, to save patients' lives, regardless of where, where they are, regardless of whether if if we're not making a business in Zimbabwe, it's fine. We're making it somewhere else, but we're helping. And this is how we 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 value our uh, our work in in the end. And if you find have found a business in order to get rich, there are easier ways. I can tell you. Uh, I mean, we had 15 years of struggle uh, until we actually got to that point. And but I think it provides a satisfaction that has a longevity um, as opposed to just having money money in the bank, which is in the end. It's just the biggest story in our lives, if you imagine it, that uh, even if ISIS, for instance, is hating uh, everything what the Western mm-hmm. world represents, mm-hmm. if they're burning down a mosque they will, or uh, a, a church, mm-hmm. they will first rescue the US dollars that might be somewhere from burning because mm-hmm. they believe in the uh, in the power and the story of, of money. And this is how convincing uh, the story of money is. And I don't buy that story. I don't care about the number. Uh, I, I think the most satisfying people that I've met don't have that kind of money. They're a janitor, but they're living in a wonderful area. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're always surrounded by friends. This is what's um, what's worthwhile living for and not for uh, running after a, a money that is just thin air. It is just thin air if you realize it. And you won't, uh, I don't think I'd want, I will get the satisfaction of having a high number somewhere uh, uh, on a banking account um, because I will just have more problems on and worrying about keeping that amount and uh, negative interest rates and whatever. Um, yeah, it would just eat me up. I mean, there are, there are two points. So one point is, I think, the importance of relationship and then the importance of money. Uh, the the quote I like the most when it comes to money is uh, that money is just a tool. So mm. whatever somebody wants to accomplish, uh, money is just a tool to make it happen. And that's all. Um, when I read through biographies of successful people, uh, like Jeff Bezos, um, they always had a grand vision, or Elon Musk, they always have a vision, a grand vision, how they want to change the world, how they want to help other people. And service is really one of uh, the main attributes of these entrepreneurs. Um, like you said, you want to help patients to get a proper diagnosis. And from what I got, what you said is that you're also expanding and discovering new diseases. So did I get that right? Mm-hmm. So that it's not yep. only... Yep. diagnosing existing diseases but also mm-hmm. define helping defining the diseases in the first place so yes. maybe that might be something different and this is amazing um jeff bezos for example all in his shareholders letters he wrote uh, he wants to be the most customer-centric company and i think it's also a, a great vision when i look at the pandemic uh how easy it was to get the goods i need 
uh, like new running shoes, for example, or new clothes, stuff like that. I mean, delivered to my doorstep for no extra charges at the reasonable price. It's pretty amazing. So what he accomplished <laughs> with beating his company. Um, but one point I rarely read, this is uh, what you mentioned uh, at the beginning of uh, the last part of the episode, that, uh, that you really try to figure out uh, how people tick before you hire them. And this is something that I think maybe we should also highlight a little bit more. Uh, when I look at many companies these days, so also the the app economy that Steve Jobs created, where uh, apps emerge like Tinder, for example, where mm. um, the matchmaking process is narrowed down to one or two attributes. It sounds to me that you take more time in uh getting the right people on board. How, what do you think? How important is it for creating a successful business around the vision uh, in being more selective in uh, choosing what people join the team? Is it really, does it really make such a huge difference or does it, doesn't it matter? It doesn't work without. Mm -hmm. um, the, the best vision, the best idea, the best business model is going to fail if you have a team that is not aligned, especially in the culture. Mm -hmm. um, because you can define every rule in the book, in the world, uh, and try to enforce it, it won't work. Uh, the, the best and most elegant way is to have a culture because they know the value system and they can think for themselves and decide for themselves based on this value system. You don't have to micromanage because you know they are going towards the same direction and to say, what are our core values? They are lean, helpful, strong. So we have, we know that money is a tool, but it is only one tool. There are other mm -hmm. tools as well. We have mm -hmm. accomplished a lot with, a with only little money. I mean, don't get me wrong. So far, we had 24 million euros in funding. Um, so this is not that little, but a lot of the effort was coming from our founders. Mm -hmm. um, helpful because we have an authentic interest a genuine interest to help the patients and strong we are declining declining investors and our customers who we do not think will help us with achieving the vision mm -hmm. um, and having defined that it's really easy to make the decision process and the culture um, of the of the team is helping us to always sail around that uh, towards this goal Otherwise, we won't achieve it. And especially, um, if, especially if the early team is uh, not around, aligned around a culture, um, you cannot control it at some point um, because I cannot hire two thousand people. And um, my other point to that is, in order to be able to be selective, you need also the volume. Mm -hmm. And so. Um, I would uh, jump into the defense of Tinder, especially, because previously, without uh, without Tinder, I would say, um, you would follow your own uh, your own feelings only on the chance and contrast you have in life. Mm -hmm. So you would have a really narrow volume. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite serious about that. Yeah. However, however, increasing this kind of volume. And getting to know a people, uh, the other people, again in an asynchronous way, because you do not have to meet them in a bar all the time. But first, getting to know them, and you you, you can do that even with with chat messages. So 
most of the time, the chat messages uh, that I receive, I knew how they were thinking. Mm-hmm. How is the spelling? <laughs> how I'm, I'm serious. Um, how much time or effort do they uh, do they put into it? Um, what do they ask? What do they care about or not? Um, it already gives a, a good a good understanding, and then you have a more rational. And this is important. You have a more rational decision-making process, and it is against the romantic, against the romanticism, which says it's a chance encounter, and you just it clicks, and you find it. No, I think, and I think that. Yes, and you're feeling you're, you're following your instincts only. I think this is this is wrong because if you do not know where your instincts are coming from, like from a childhood, and um, whether the instincts are right, um, it's it's leading it's leading you to into a bad place. And we have talked about it before. Um, so I think know yourself, and then you're you're able to make to make a better um selective process and then getting to know different kinds of personality and with the rationale behind that is this a fit i mean this doesn't mean is this a bad person and it, it, no it just means mm-hmm. is this a personality fit yes or no and there are even tests for that if you want to do it in a more in a more scientific way and there are then tests that say specific personality types if you combine them don't in, in most of the time don't really work out, and those are statistics. Uh, mm. it's, 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 it doesn't say it, it is deterministic, but it gives you a good idea uh, of, of of what to predict. And uh, it is again uh, against the romantic uh, idea um, of overthinking it. Um, but I would say it is a more conscious approach. Approach. Uh, because for that uh, to, to to really work well, well, you need to know yourself. Uh, of course, uh, it is it is a tool and can be used uh, any way you want, um, not only in a good way, of course. Yeah, I think it always depends on the people who who wields the sword, uh, how he or she uses it. So it uh, can be yep. a means for peace or for war. Uh, it's also with the knife. I mean, you can use. I mean, coming from martial arts, yeah, so you can can use a knife for cutting bread or for stabbing other people. So it really depends on uh, the person and not the tool. Uh, I think that there are some benefits in social media. I mean, what you say, uh, it needs really two sides um, of one coin. So on one hand, it needs understanding of yourself. Uh, How do you tick? What do you like? What are your dislikes? And also understanding other people. And the amazing thing with social media, uh, Tinder, Facebook, um twitter whatsapp uh, whatsapp not so much but really social media linkedin everything that's public uh people can document their life uh if they really use it for documentation to gain more like a like a journal journal getting getting more insight in how they tick and also when they meet other people unraveling uh how the people are and uh, if they have they share the sim- similar values i mean when i look now on facebook with friends that they have since on so that i know since the 90s and 80s but who are now on on facebook i see their whole life so some are really good one friend of mine lives in um in i hope i spell it right bahrain or some something like, something like that uh and he's working he works for microsoft so he 
loves biking and he loves motorcycles and he has cats and he puts everything online. So it's really easy to figure out what this person is. And when I just imagine that uh, if someone wants to uh, find one of the Microsoft decision makers uh, and wants to understand if he or she can work together with him on a personal level, they just need to check his uh, social media profiles and see, okay, is that what he's doing? Uh, also what I value. And what you say would also expand. Uh, I mean, you mentioned that uh, your company also uh, sometimes gets in touch with investors. I would say it's not only for the personal life to figure out beforehand um, how people tick, what their values are, what goals they pursue. It also comes um, when I look at fundraising, for example. It's also an important part of that. And this is the most neglected part of fundraising. Uh, this is something I do for companies. So when they approach me, I support them in finding the right investors. And nine out of 10 are really annoyed when I come up with my process and say, okay, if you need money, it takes one or two years. And I just sit there and say, we want it in two weeks. Uh, don't you know how to do it in two weeks? And I say, no, it's not the way it works. Um, we spend a minimum of one year just talking with investors and finding out whether your values and your goal is something that uh, aligns with their values and their goals. And before we can talk to them, we need to work on your strategy and uh, on the values of your company. And I mean, yours is well developed, you know, you have a vision for your company, but uh, many founders, also scale-up companies don't have that. So they just started working somewhere and it evolved. But the thing is with, uh, with raising investment capital, it's not transactional. So an investment process doesn't end with money on the bank account. Yep. Uh, the real life with investors begins after the investment phase. So after the money is on the bank account, because then it's a relationship and this relationship lasts for years, sometimes for decades. I don't know when, when uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, early investors left, uh, left Amazon, but uh, he got, I think Kleiner Perkins, he got in the, in the nineties as one of the initial investors, then he did an IPO and he didn't raise further rounds. But usually with uh, an investor, the founders have to spend, I would say, a minimum of five to 10 years of constant interaction. And when they have different values or a different work ethic, or it's just, just, let's just imagine from our conversation, I mean, everybody can live their life in any way they want. But if, for example, I know an investor who loves extreme sports, and uh, also build a company in that way. Um, and he's coming more from the adrenaline side of life. And then you have, for example, scientific founders who uh, are on the opposite side. I always want to, to ask myself this one question, is this really a good match for the next five to 10 years? And it might not be, even if mm. the money would be right. And also the the, yeah. the uh, the growth perspective. Um, it's good to hear that you're also ticking in that way because I think this this really needs a little bit more thought if people want to create lasting success in companies. I'm not only asking applicants uh, for what is their biggest success in life and uh, and the death visualization question, but I also ask investors. Mm -hmm. And especially I nailed it down to, look, I'm not uh, dealing with only an organization which is abstract. I need to know who is as a person is going to be in charge 
for the next five to ten years um who on a, on a partner level <laughs> right um and we need to find out whether whether it is a match um and i have to know myself uh and i have to know the my my organization and what what is the, our culture and our vision mission and is it aligned with the goals of the of the investor if it's not the best contract in the world won't prevent you from the the impact the negative impact you will uh have to endure over the next five to ten years if it even <laughs> uh, takes that long and you won't achieve your mission so you better hold out uh, but then again uh, some companies don't have a year or, or two they have uh, such a um, burn rate that then they wouldn't survive that that long and you have to fix that as well because as you said you need to make the match work and for this just takes time <laughs> This, 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 yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm now, I'm working, started in M&A about 20 years ago, mm. and I'm now supporting life science drug development companies since 2006. Um, and the question, it's, it's really very often burn rate, and uh, we just have six months and four months. And uh, when I work for let's say incubation programs and uh, we tackle the question of when is the right point in time to start fundraising it's uh, in my opinion far before a person founds a company this mm. is uh, this meet and greet going out on the market so if someone feels this entrepreneurial spirit or spark it's the moment when people should start talking with entrepreneurs is also one reason uh, with, with investors so this mm. is also one reason why i put up the podcast to say it's uh, when i want the money and need the money it's definitely far too late to have yes. first conversations with investors because yes. we need to figure out so many things and having these conversations with with investors i mean no investor that i know was really anytime unhappy that I just reached out and say, can we have a 15 minute call? I would like to understand what you are looking for. When I see something on the market, what would be a perfect fit for you? So what would be your perfect company? Uh, knowing that uh, on one hand, I mean, either I can serve the investor when I, for example, run into a company and say, okay, you should talk with this person uh, for no money. So it's just uh doing it because it's convenient and it's easy, but it starts fostering the relationship. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, uh, this investor also starts learning and understanding my values, how I tick, what I want to achieve in life. And mm -hmm. I think the best investment round uh, that closes is that, uh, that closes naturally without mm -hmm. uh, having the structured process run and uh, being desperate on the market for money because we just have six months of runway. I think all this is manageable. All this mm. is uh, doable in a way that there is no fear of bankruptcy and that we really have a high chance of right matches if people really uh, integrate that in their business thinking so that they really mm. are early on the market, start talking with investors and start learning them. And I think this also applies to what you say to other relationships, I mean, employees. Uh, maybe it's also the best hire uh, to just reach out to a person that you already know for years. So it's not waiting until, I mean, when it comes to the, the key positions in the company. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we also do due diligence on our investors. Mm. It's, a, it's, a great point. it's a great point. Chama, yeah. I could, I would really love to talk with you uh, for two hours more, but uh, <laughs> I think you also have to run a company. 
and we tackled a lot of important topics today. Let me just try to ask you one final question. So let's just imagine that uh, in a year from now, um, somebody hears this podcast and mm. uh, he comes or she comes to you and says, Chama, uh, there are so many great insights in it, uh, but I'm so far off of, 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 of all of this. What should... Uh, what is the first starting point that would, that you would recommend to this person? So what should they start with? What's the most important habit in your opinion? Habit? Okay. Uh, I mean, I would answer it in two ways. So first I would say what they have to do first, which is understand themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think a death visualization can help there as well, um, by the way, but there are also other ways in order to achieve it. What is the first um, habit? The morning and evening routines. So the morning routines we have covered and the evening routines is uh, the shutting down and say, I, at that point, no screen time anymore. I think this, this helps as a technique, but actually I wouldn't, I wouldn't start with a habit. I would start with uh, understanding yourself mm -hmm. um, and What, what what is a meaning what gives me a meaning of life what could be my purpose and then everything else as you said comes naturally then you're building towards that goal and you're journaling on how well you're uh, you're progressing and what is uh, aligned with your goals what is not if you don't have that you're just following the agenda of other people This is great advice. Thank you very much for your time and uh, giving so much insights into your life. Uh, I wish you, your family and your team a lot of success, health and happiness for the coming years. Thanks, Christian. Likewise. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day. <laughs>